Hey, it's Greg Brady. Thanks for checking out the Toronto Today podcast for a Monday on September the 27th. Well, we started off by talking about the release of the two Michaels. Probably not the same coverage we would have done had it been, you know, last night. It's uh, two and a half days and we've had time to reflect upon it. But what it means for the Canada-China relationship going forward, I think there's more questions than answers. We're glad the Michaels are back. Absolutely. That's a triumph that they're okay physically. we still got to work on making sure they're okay, period. They went through an ordeal none of us can even imagine. So we'll talk about that out of the gate. Jennifer Pagliaro is uh, a City Hall reporter for Toronto. And, uh, wow, the city in it deep with the province. You remember the 2018 municipal election, how seats were cut by the provincial government, by failed mayoral candidate Doug Ford, who lost to John Tory in 2014 in that mayoral election. Well, the Supreme Court of Canada is going to rule on it on Friday. We advanced that coverage talking to Jennifer. Eric Cam, one of our regular Monday guests, joins us to talk about a few different things, including policy at Dalhousie University and campuses in general regarding students partying and being fully vaccinated already. Rachel Gilmore on the two Michaels as well, drops by with her assessment of the coverage and of things. And we do what happened when for this date, September 27th. It's all coming up on the Toronto Today pod. Two big news events I want to get to. One is the doubling of capacity for what the Blue Jays were hosting. Um, You can, your guess is as good as mine as to what's happened in like 24 hours that allows 15,000 fully vaccinated people to, I don't know, take liberty and freedom and everything else and the pursuit of baseball and the pursuit of hot dogs and Cracker Jacks and, uh, you know, beer, big, beautiful, overpriced beers and have them at Rogers Center en masse and 15,000 more people can do that now on Tuesday compared to what was allowed a week ago. Your guess is as good as mine as to what's changed you know, public health-wise. But, you know, you got to start somewhere, right? 30,000 people at Rogers Center is fine, just fine. The day before, 15,001 would have been risky. Would have been risky. Oh, my gosh. Be careful. Um, There were so many uh, kids, uh, so many people, parents, kids watching my kids' soccer game in Sudbury yesterday that, uh, I I mean, there's no doubt that public health officials would have shut that down. Honestly, Dr. Teresa Tam would have been horrified by what she saw in Sudbury. There were people standing close to each other in outdoor air watching kids soccer. None of them wearing masks. None of them. And I just assume that most are fully vaccinated. So you can imagine the chaos. Um, it's, It's no fun. It's no fun being at a kids soccer game in Sudbury, Ontario and thinking you're contributing to a super spreader event. But I'm going to get over it at some point in time. So that happened Friday, the expansion of gatherings. I'd love to hear, by the way, from somebody. This is sort of an all points call out. If you went to the Leafs game Saturday, how was it for you? What was that experience like? And you can text me on that 289-975-1640, 289-975-1640. Sounded on all accounts like a good start. Some people mentioned to me in the evening Saturday, what's the story? We're, we're proving vaccination. We have to wear masks in the crowd. Now, I don't think that's thrilling that that's the case, but I'd love to know more about it from you anecdotally if you went, because I've only gone to the two Canadian soccer games so far, Honduras and El Salvador. I'll go see them play Panama in a couple weeks from now, and I don't know if I'm lining up uh, Blue Jays tickets. Right now, it doesn't look like that. Uh, Busy weekend next weekend, so that won't be the case. Friday night, let me get to this and spend some minutes on it. The two Michaels were freed. Massive story. Absolutely 
big, big story. Uh, we'll talk about it on, in a couple different uh, segments and chunks this morning. But on Friday, we started hearing of negotiations to return the Huawei chief financial officer, Meng Wanzhou. Now, it's been over a thousand days, almost three years that Canadians Michael Kovrig and Michael Spaver confessed, if you will, and repented, if you will, if you buy the Chinese news media for acts of espionage. Okay, so um, it just happens to be this massive coincidence that Meng is released and Spaver and Kovrig are all of a sudden on a direct flight to Calgary. I mean, it's not just to, you know, get some fresh mountain air and come back to China to their uh, windowless prison. No, far from it. They're out for good. The, by the way, this headline, I get it. I understand it. I'm not, believe me, I'm not ripping on the Toronto Star here. I'm not. But here's the headline from uh, the report from Ben Cohen. And again, it's a, there's nothing wrong with the article. The headline kind of cracked me up a little bit. Let's see if it does you. Let me road test this past you. Chinese state-controlled news outlet claims simultaneous release of the two Michaels and Meng was coincidence. Experts say that's not the case. Experts. Everybody says that's not the case. That's not working for the Chinese government. Experts. My mom is not an ex. My mom is not an expert on Canadian Chinese uh, diplomatic relations. She says that's not the case. Your neighbor says that's not the case. You see that, uh, you know, you, you see that golden retriever that is walking in your neighborhood. That dog says that's not the case. What? Chinese state-controlled news outlet claims simultaneous release of the two Michaels and Meng was coincidence. Experts say that's not the case. Everybody knows that's not the case. Here's the Sunday report from the Global Times in China. Uh, recently freed Canadians Michael Kovrig and Michael Spaver confessed and repented for acts of espionage. Quote, in their own handwriting. They've been granted bail, quote, for medical reasons. Oh, really? On the same day and for the same reasons of medical nature. It's just a coincidence they were released in concert with Meng. The report, citing an unnamed source, the Chinese government, claimed the Michaels must now, quote, strictly abide bail conditions imposed on them, which, should they be violated, would see China resume criminal proceedings. Best of luck with that. I can't wait to hear about that concept, where you're going to see that one of the Michaels violated bail, and you're going to attempt to extradite them from our country. Good luck. All the best with that. And here's the other thing. And you can weigh in on this as well on text. I understand it's a triumph. I understand it. this didn't always, this wasn't always going to go this way. Okay? This has been a delicate political dance, um, you know, almost like obviously pre the pandemic because of the length of time that Meng Wanzhou has been, uh, you know, in Vancouver under house arrest, still able to very much come and go as she pleases, She's able to go shopping. She lives in a big mansion. She's got the ankle bracelet. The ankle bracelet's not terribly limiting for her. Um, we do get this, right? Releasing the Michaels makes China less trustworthy from now on than more. We understand this, right? Like it's a triumph that they're back and there's no immediate physical harm over the period of time. But China got exactly what they wanted. They don't want the Michaels. They don't want the, they, they have no interest in that. They want, their, they want their girl back, and they got her. They gave her a big parade. There, were, there was a band and balloons and stuff, and I'm sure heavily catered at the airport when she flew back from Vancouver. 
we do understand this makes China less, less trustworthy than more. Far less. Mercedes Stevenson on the West Block was able to speak with uh, Michael Kovrick and a rather remarkable conversation. You'll hear uh, Michael Kovrick. They reference his sister, who he does the chat with. Uh, they reference his wife, who he's sitting with as well. This is how that sounded yesterday morning on Global. Hello, Michael, Vina, and Ariana. Welcome home. We are so excited to see you. This is just an incredible moment. Michael, what do you want to say to Canadians? Uh, I just want to say thank you very much to all Canadians for the enormous support uh, and uh, all the effort that uh, so many people have made to help bring Michael Spavor and me home. Uh, it was really moving and knowing that so many people knew about the situation, cared about the situation, really helped us get through a very difficult time and we are so happy now. I am so delighted to be back home with my family. Uh, and to be back in Canada and I'm really looking forward to reconnecting with friends and family and finally getting out and seeing all the beauty of Canada. Uh, so I'm, I am immensely happy and thank you so much. Well, we are all just ecstatic to have you home. Vina, how does this feel for you? You have fought so hard for Michael's freedom. We have talked to you so many times. You've just been uh, an absolute warrior. What a day for you. How are you? I, I feel fantastic, Mercedes. It has been an incredible day. Um, I'm speechless. I, it's hard to find the right words right now, but um, oceans of gratitude, enormous amount of relief, um, and just joy that this day has finally come, uh, that Michael is home, that he's safe, that he's healthy, and that we, we finally got here, right? We, we brought them home, uh, and this is because of all the Canadians who have been with us every step of the way. Just two weeks ago, we walked for them 7,000 steps for their freedom, and here they are, free at last, in Canada. Okay, Thank fantastic. Mercedes Stevenson did a great job with that. Great to get the access uh, to them, and, and great that there was that established relationship there. It's why Mercedes is just one of the best in the business, plain and simple uh there's just not a lot of talking points she won't just repeat a bunch of gobbledygook she develops real relationships with real people she's one of canada's best journalists plain and simple she showed that in election night too by the way now here's something that i want to get into and it's the micro and macro of this situation the micro and the macro sometimes you got to think what's the short term what's the long-term play here i think it's worth remembering it's definitely worth remembering what Huawei did and didn't do in this process. They would never condemn the detention of the two Michaels. Okay. Canada's uh, Huawei, Canada's vice president of government affairs, Morgan Elliott, a gentleman named Morgan Elliott was on with Mercedes. This is back in February of this year. Understand that we've already transitioned from Donald Trump as president to Joe Biden as president. So when he's referencing the old president, that's what he's talking about is the president of the United States, Donald Trump. But this clip tells you everything you need to know about what it's like to be, I don't know, a corporate mouthpiece. Here's the clip. And uh, we haven't had uh, that much interaction with the U.S. government uh, at this point. You know, we're always open to. Uh, the company has never done anything wrong. We've been uh, transparent in all our interactions. Men One Joe has done nothing uh, wrong. And we've gotten to a point where. So, sorry, like I'm just any, stop any there because this is from is, um, you know, I think we're all uh, frustrated 
with the lack of communications uh, b between uh, the government on, on a, between governments uh, on a number of, of issues. You know, uh, the company has never done anything wrong. We've been uh, transparent in all our interactions. Men uh, uh, One Joe has done nothing uh, wrong, and we've gotten to a point where. So, sorry, like I'm just any, going to stop any, you there because I think that's interesting. Your company's position is, and as the Canadian version of Huawei, that Meng Wanzhou has done nothing wrong. So you don't think that the RCMP's arrest of her was legitimate? The company has done nothing wrong. Uh, Meng Wanzhou ha has nothing wrong. Done nothing wrong. Uh, you know, we're seeing in this situation uh, the previous president uh, using uh, companies and unfortunately people as political pawns. And so we've gotten into the situation today where uh, Canada has been put uh, in a hard place in, in terms of trying to uh, deal with its friendships with Americans and its business interests in, in China. And Mr. Ren, like uh, uh, any father. Okay, so look, bottom line is, um, that's, that's, that's tough, man. Everybody's got to put their head on the pillow at night and go, you know what? I'm I'm doing the right things. I'm I'm not being a. Uh, we all have to we all have to do our dances, right? We do. You know that you do it, and and I do it. We got to do our dances sometimes. That's that's really something. That's really something that a guy who's the who's obviously Canadian and is the vice president of government affairs won't be able to be like talking normally because of who he works for. He puts his head down on his pillow at night and he thinks, boy. Thank God the checks keep rolling in. That's really something to say that and not condemn the fact that it's so patently obvious two Canadians were arbitrarily detained. I understand that. I understand there's only so much he can say. Thomas with a great text in, and he writes this at 289-975-1640. 289-975-1640. China throws the hostages back to us. Trudeau says Canadians are happy. Greg, we're happy the Michaels are back. We're not happy we were abused in this fashion by one of our largest trading partners. Amen. Amen. I mean, a lot of Canadians, are. is the Canada-China relationship a good one? No. Does our government have a coherent strategy to protect Canadian interests going forward? Also no. So it's great short-term game here. I'm Again, I'm happy these two guys are okay. I'm thrilled that they're back. This ordeal took way too long. Fantastic for the families. But we had two citizens falsely imprisoned. They were innocent in order to gain leverage to get <laughs> like to get a corporate executive back. That's what that's what Canada doesn't do. That's what the United States doesn't do. That's what the UK doesn't do. But it's what a totalitarian regime would do and will keep doing because they succeeded at it. They got everything they wanted and then some. And for what? For what? A thousand days. We don't know the um, long-term impacts on the two Michaels that basically not seeing a tree or not seeing a river or not going out for dinner or not being feeling free. Forget about the physical and, and the, you know, the visual. Think about the mental impact. 289-975-1640 is the phone number if you want to weigh in on this. It's great that they're back. What does this mean long-term? I mean, we're going to go to the Olympics in this country? In this country, five months from now, four and a half months from now and feel great about it and send all our athletes and send our journalists do will they feel safe what does this mean long term for canada china it tells you everything you need to know about what the chinese will do when they get the opportunity it makes them less trustworthy not more let's not spin this 
in the wrong direction. So this was fascinating, and this dropped on Friday that it's going to happen, but it's really significant. You might remember the 2018 uh, municipal election in Toronto. We're due for another one fairly soon. But the Ontario legislature passed legislation in the midst of the election campaign. I mean, signs are up, debates are happening, candidates are shaking hands and kissing things when we were still able to do that pre-pandemic. But they cut the number of Toronto council seats to 25 from 47. Uh, wow. And that's former Toronto City Councilor and failed mayoral candidate Doug Ford doing so. And many people said, you're, you're trampling on democracy. You're politically interfering. And the city of Toronto went all the way to the Supreme Court of Canada saying they did so. So we're going to get a ruling on this on Friday. It's fascinating stuff. Uh, I want to welcome in Toronto Star reporter. She does a great job covering all things city council-wise and the various permutations of it. Jennifer Pagliaro, it's great to have you on, Jennifer. Thanks a lot for uh, making the time for me. Hey, good morning, Greg. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Totally. We almost lost sight of this, right? Like we've had so many balls juggling in the air. We're like, oh, yeah, that happened in 2018. The city of Toronto didn't like it one bit. And uh, and there were objections raised. Friday's going to be a fascinating judgment, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's It's been a long time coming. This this legal saga has carried on uh, as, lo- as long as uh, as we've had this new council since 2018. And Personally, I've been uh, waiting for the Supreme Court's uh, email letting me know that that decision is coming down. And so we heard that uh, on Friday that it'll be coming out the following week. And so now we're hotly anticipating uh, the ruling at last. Remind our listeners what it was like. I remember it somewhat, but you'll remember it 10 times better. Just the the utter chaos that ensued with this determination with, with, you know, ridings all, all set counselors and, and prospective counselors already running, donating their time. Uh, it, it was, it was utter chaos. Yeah. I remember sitting in my office and our Queens Park bureau chief, Robert Benzie actually got tipped off that this was about to happen. And he called us at city hall, obviously to discuss it. And, and we couldn't believe it in some ways. I still can't, believe it. I couldn't believe that that was about to happen. And as you can imagine, as you've described, you have people who have already been nominated. So you have to be nominated to run in any election. And that period had closed. So nominations were closed. People had already started, you know, printing all their literature, all that stuff you get at your door with people's pictures, it says the ward number on it. And all of that got completely thrown out, basically, because those ward numbers no longer applied. Some of those people didn't want to run in the area that they were now technically uh, put in because of the boundary change. When you think about the makeup of the city, the council had decided to split it up into 47 pretty distinct, thought out, you know, neighborhood focused wards. And that was a, a significant increase from the system we had before. And when you cut it down to just 25 wards, which the Ford government said wanted to be based on the federal and provincial ridings, it had incumbents suddenly having to run against each other. People had to drop out of the race. People had raised money that was now useless. It was it was unlike anything I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, Jennifer Pagliaro, our guest from the Toronto Star on uh Toronto Today with Greg Brady on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. It also bears reminding, and I'll come back to 18, but in 2014, because this is seen by some, by some, as a little bit of a revenge move. Rob Ford's the mayor. He's running for re-election. He has to drop out. He's sadly diagnosed with, with cancer and a tumor. So he runs for city council and said, 
The brother, Doug Ford, the younger brother, jumps in, uh, runs against John Tory. Olivia Chow is running as well. But John Tory's got to do what he's got to do as a politician. He's got to talk about Rob Ford's record. He's got to talk about some of the problems. And he's got to campaign against Doug Ford. Then Ford becomes premier. It's seen by some as as not just political gamesmanship, but utter and outright revenge by some, isn't it? Yeah, it seems, you know, some have said that it, it appears that uh, Ford has some lasting grudges as it relates to city council and to Toronto specifically, that he seems to be kind of uh, acting on as premier. I mean, obviously, we don't have proof of that, but there are certainly things that he and his, his late brother Rob used to talk about all the time, including, you know, the size of council, how much council spends, um, even the way money is spent when it comes to planning and development decisions. That's you know, another topic, but they, they also, he, uh, you know, Premier Ford also made um, some snap decisions about that. And so there's a kind of a, a laundry list of things that uh, he, he used to talk about as a city councillor that he now has the power potentially, and that's what the Supreme Court's going to decide to change, and he seems to be going ahead with it. Yeah, Friday will be utterly fascinating. I want to ask you one more on that, but I'll ask you about John Tory and how that perception is. Um, it's not easy being a politician of, the, of, of such a massive city period. It's not easy in a pandemic, but many have wondered about the Tory-Ford relationship. And, and there's a bit of a dance. I understand it because of provincial transfer payments that all mayors have to do. They can only be so outspoken or critical. They can't be as outspoken as, say, a mayor of a big city in the United States, like New York or, or L.A., about what the governor does. I get that but has has there been has the criticism been valid uh, of john tory during this run that he's not been vocal enough about certain rest- ontario restrictions that affect his city and his constituents you're totally right it's it's such a delicate dance and i think you've described it perfectly because you know as the mayor has said in the past you know even under the wind government just if you look at, at previous relationships too you know he said you know he, he hates having to go uh, up to Queen's Park, you know, in short pants, like, yeah. like cap, in, cap in hand, right? Because the unfortunately, the way our system works, if, if you, you know, if you care about the, the funding the city of Toronto gets is that we're really beholden to the province. We're, you know, what they say, creatures of the province. And, and that's really the heart of the issue, too, in the Supreme Court fight. And it causes a lot of um, ongoing uh, funding problems, um, jurisdiction problems, and, you know, a lot of people hoped, actually, that the Supreme Court decision would speak to the actual power of cities. But you're totally right. It's it's a completely mm. different system in a lot of um, U.S. cities, a lot of U.S. states. And there is an ongoing kind of movement in the background to get similar powers. And I think that's going to have to be a discussion outside of the Supreme Court decision. I think it's 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 fair, of course, to criticize leaders and and not doing enough but when it comes to raising taxes and getting Mm -hmm. transfer payments there's not a lot that the mayor of the city can do and 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 that's an ongoing issue jennifer pagliaro toronto star what are the ramifications of a a loss if you will for the ford government in this supreme court ruling on friday what happens if it's ruled that they uh that they violated that, that they broke the law basically by what they did this is where it gets really interesting and tricky. So if the Supreme Court says that what the Ford government did is unconstitutional, then essentially the legislation that the Ford government passed is null and void. And that does give the opportunity for the city to go back to the system that they had originally intended, a 47-word system, and to try to put that in place for the upcoming municipal election, which is next year, around this time next year. But 
the, it really hinges on whether the Supreme Court decides that the crux of the problem was the timing of what the Ford government did, if it's really about the mid-election interference. And if that's the case, it'll be really fascinating to see if the Ford government decides to pass new legislation ahead of the next election to essentially do the exact same thing and whether that will be seen as valid and constitutional. So you may see a back and forth or the Ford government may decide to back off after a loss. And those are all things that we'll be watching really closely because there's not a lot of time to prepare a municipal election. Mm. As you can imagine, it's a lot of work. And so if those things don't get settled early on, you know, probably by the end of this year, we might be in a mess again next year. Friday's a massive news day for this massive day uh, in the morning. Uh, we'll be all over it. I know you will be too. Thanks for making time for us. And we'll, we'll be reading, uh, reading your account. So great to talk to you. Thanks for having me. Jennifer Pagliaro, our guest uh, from the Toronto Star. Uh, Our next guest is often on with a radio host. Okay, it's Roy Green again uh, on weekends on the uh, Chorus Radio Network nationwide. He makes his Toronto appearances with us on Mondays. uh, Dr. Eric Ham, economics professor. Now, as you know, and he'd probably tell you, Roy Green has been called worse than a radio host, uh, Eric. There's just no doubt about it. Not by you or me, but I'm sure, you know, he's been at it a long time. I'm sure... I'm sure he's been called worse than a radio host. Uh, He's probably been called worse by better people. Uh, (laughs) And speaking of being called worse by better people, I'd like to address this Andrew Wiggins situation, if I may, because at five foot five, I feel qualified to talk about the NBA. Um, I get a list every year at my university, the former Ryerson University, now X University. I get a list of all of the religious dates from all of the religions. And I can't have a midterm or a test or even an assignment due on one of these days. And they range from the ridiculous to the sublime. But I have yet, I have yet to see out and out lunacy as a religious (laughs) exemption. And to me, I don't know what Andrew Wiggins is practicing, but unless it's the church of absolute stupidity, it is beyond me. I have searched this list up and down, and I can't find Andrew Wiggins on it anywhere. Well, and as a person of a certain religious faith, uh, you get like 38 holidays a year. So you'd know. I mean, let's be honest about this. <laughs> well, let's be honest. There was a time when I enjoyed the benefits of my Judaism in terms of the holidays, where yeah. I would take my Jewish holidays off, and I would take the non-Jewish holidays off. But then I realized at some point I'm just double dipping. So while I don't advocate this for all of my Jewish brethren, um, I actually do lecture on Jewish holidays. I just do it very quietly and I lie to my mother and my wife. Um, That's a well, you know, that's on brand. That's good. Um, Rosh Hashanah is always funny to me. It's like, oh, we're just getting the uh, you know, we're just getting going with the school year up time for a big holiday. I, you know, like three days at the start. We're all we're all going back to work. Ah, we need these three days. But I understand it's got a lot of a lot of it's centuries old significance. Let's put it that way. Well, you know, it's a funny thing. I've been called many things as a Jewish person. Uh, they ask, people have asked me, are you reform? Are you conservative? Are you orthodox? And the reality is, if I had to slot myself into one, I'm a culinary Jew. Oh. I like the food. Yeah. I could really take or leave the religious aspects. I, I'm proud to be Jewish, but I have to be honest with you. Jewish is something that I am. It's not something that I try to do. So I can't tell you that I spend a lot of time in synagogue. I can't tell you that I keep kosher and I can't tell you that I keep my head covered at all times. But don't get me wrong. I'm Jewish mm. and I'm proud of it. And as I say, I, I like the food. So this news breaks Friday with the two Michaels. I wanted you to be able to weigh in on it. It's funny. Uh, my wife was in London with her mom and they were watching the Blue Jays game. 
and then they find out about the two Michaels and they're like, uh, they were almost surprised that TSN didn't break in. And I'm like, I, you know, I would like Buck Martinez's insight on uh, on Chinese espionage issues. Um, but uh, but I also like it's not the old days. If CTV had the game right, you remember like if it if it's an over the air network, you would get sports events broken into by news. But it was a massive story Friday night. It caught a lot of us by surprise. It was a massive story, and it got me thinking back to 2004. If I may go uh, back that far, mm-hmm. um, I was introduced at that time to my dearest and closest friend on the campus, and her name is Dr. Amy Peng. And when she got to Ryerson in 2004, she was actually right in the middle of working with lawyers and working with intergovernment officials to get her father released from jail in China, where he had been imprisoned for anti-government activity. And the story with with these two fellows, it really threw me back to watching Amy basically 24-7 working with people around the clock trying to get this person out of jail for doing nothing more than being anti-government. And I'm actually not throwing shade on the Chinese, the Chinese people, um, but you brought up the Olympics. And I'll Mm -hmm. tell you, I know that athletes train a long time to go to the Olympics and I respect it. And I remember 1980 and 1984. And as an athlete, it would break my heart not to go. But sometimes there is a bigger picture. And if you're asking me, would you go to China right now? Does it make you nervous? You know what? Right now it makes me a little bit nervous. I hated it when like we were little kids then when we didn't go in 80 and we followed, um, you know, Jimmy Carter's concept of not going. That was very costly politically for Carter uh, to, to to like to plant your flag in the sand over Afghanistan, ironically, 41 years later. Um, and at the same time, you, you look and you say, we grew up also where South Africa was banned because of apartheid policies. And you're like, I feel like there's countries now doing just as many bad things as South Africa was all through the seventies and eighties and they're to, to women, to gay people. And they're welcome at the Olympics. Like what would it take to get a country banned from the Olympics? Apparently a lot, apparently a ton. You know, I, I say that a lot. I remember thinking, what would it take to get Kathleen Wynne booted out as premier? I mean, how many, travesties and, and how many and how many earth shaking problems can you have before you rule out a government but you know you bring up a really good point which is we look at the world now you and I are men of a certain age as much as that pains me to say it and we try mm-hmm. to say that the world has evolved and it's a much better place politically and socioeconomically than it was when we were kids and the plight of minorities and the plight of the oppressed and the plight of women is much better. But, you know, the data just essentially doesn't bear it out. I mean, there are glass ceilings now that are being shattered, but you don't have to look very hard to see oppressed groups still being oppressed. And and quite frankly, as an academic and as a husband and as a father, it really, I know like you, it breaks your heart. Yeah, it does do that. Dr. Eric Kim uh, joining us uh, on uh, the Global News Radio Toronto today. Um, You know, I mentioned this story and I sent it uh, to you for perusal really quick this is really interesting um i'll read this tweet from sean preble who's our global reporter in halifax um dalhousie university sent out a tweet yesterday in the afternoon if you attended the large unsanctioned street parties in halifax we're strongly urging you and they go all caps here like they're like is the cleveland cavaliers owner running dalhousie university not to attend classes or general on-campus activities for one week and that you and then it's capitals again get tested for COVID-19. Here's my problem. 
what are we doing? It's outdoors. It's a party. Kids are going to do this. The university has a vaccination policy. You can't be on campus without being fully vaccinated, period. So unless there's a lot of, you know, off-campus townies that they're partying with that are anti-vaxxers, A, I don't see the problem. And the second thing is, if they're not vaccinated, uh, Eric, they're getting tested already. This just looks like a massive, threatening overreaction by uh, by the university that's not, quote unquote, following the science. You know, I have two things to say about this. The first one is I appreciate the 35 seconds that I had to read the story and think about it. <laughs> but number two is that what do people want from these undergraduate students? I mean, the world has come a long way in a year. A year, a year ago, we were terrified of everything and everybody. We didn't have the numbers, we didn't have the statistics, we didn't have the vaccine, and people were right to be afraid. But you know what? Enough is enough. These are first-year university students. What do you want them to do? Do you want them to lock themselves away in their dorm rooms and not come out? No. They're social beings. They want to be with each other. And you know what? I may get some negative Twitters for this, but I see no problem. As you said, there's a policy. If you feel sick, go get a test. If you don't feel sick, you probably don't need a test. I mean, now the disease is not spreading as fast as the rumors, and it's really quite a shame. So I feel for Dalhousie. I feel for any university that's trying to have some semblance of life for its first year students. This is supposed to be, you went to Western in first year. This is supposed to be a massive time in your life when you start discovery and growth and figuring out who you are. Nobody can figure out who they are if they sit in their dorm room unless they go to lecture and then slink back to their dorm room and shut the door. So this is ridiculous. If you feel sick, go get a test. If you don't feel sick, have a good time and enjoy Eastern Canada. I don't see the big deal. We got to stop testing or urging testing for fully vaccinated asymptomatic people, especially especially at a younger age. And you nailed it. Here's the problem is, oh, you know, if we have any kind of crush of testing, you know who I want to be able to go get a test? Uh, an 80-year-old grandma. You know who I want to be able to go get a test? A nine-year-old kid with, uh, with severe asthma who is starting to, you know, struggle or, or picks up a cough because of school or otherwise. I don't want a bunch of 20-year-old, you know, uh, liberal arts majors who went to a kegger on the weekend outdoors forced by the school, well fully vaccinated, to go go get a test and clog up the line. Our our testers, our healthcare workers, they're working hard enough. They don't need to waste time with this. I I couldn't tell you how upset I was when this came in my... And I got nothing to do with Dalhousie University. Zero. But it just, it, it boggles my mind how backwards we're getting some of this stuff. I have a lot of friends at Dalhousie, as I tend to have a lot of friends everywhere. But it's not just boggling. It's that people have this rhetoric now. People say, I listen to science. I go by the science. I listen to the experts. Well, you know what, then? This is a university. Let's move from theory to practice and let's start doing what the experts tell us. And a 20-year-old person outside having a good time is not really likely to get COVID. And if they are, they're not really likely to have a bad outcome if they're double vaccinated, which they are if they're on a campus. So you know what? Not that I'm advocating widespread partying, but I'm also sounds like it. It I'm sounds like advocating it. widespread lock yourself in your <laughs> dorm room and pretend that the world is coming to an end. Again, first year students, this is part of the experience. I think we've denied them for long enough. As long as they're doing what mm. science says and these kids are. Have a great time and maybe even invite me to one of your parties. Sure. Uh, well, you wouldn't stick out like a sore thumb. I, I don't feel like um, this is not Rodney Dangerfield and back to school. And you look you look 20 years younger than Rodney did in that movie. Um, do you want 30 seconds to complain about the Miami Dolphins? I mean, at least you're not. The, at least we're not the New England Patriots or the New York Jets. 
There is that. Okay, you know what? This is a Miami Dolphin uh, free zone day because I'm just far too upset. But oh. I'll tell you a quick story about partying in university and being too old. Um, last year, after my final exam, a couple of my students said to me, when things clear up and things start, we can start doing things, you know, you were kind of a really cool prof. Would you like to come out with us one night for a drink? And I said, I feel like I'm imposing. I don't know if I want to go to a bar with my students. They're going to feel inhibited. And they said, no, no, no. They said, please come. I said, you know what? One drink, no problem. What time are we going? They said, we're meeting at midnight. I said, have a great time. I'm already in bed by two hours. <laughs> yeah, t tidy up the partying a little bit if you can. Uh, yeah, my kid, my 13-year-old in the hotel in Sudbury, I, I go back to my room to sleep at 1045. He came in. I checked the, the clock about 1220. I'm like, you do you. That's fantastic. That's exactly the circle of life is, uh, is evolving as our family moves. I got to move. Uh, thanks for your uh, weighing in on topics. We'll chat next Monday. Stay healthy, Greg. Eric Kim uh, joining us, uh, economics professor at uh, the former Ryerson University. Okay, the two Michaels massive story on uh, Friday evening. Meng Wanzhou got back to China. Uh, no explanation, no apology. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it seems to be a, a settled case. Let's talk about it now. Uh, she covers federal politics. Was amazing all over the place for a federal election last weekend. I'm sure she's relieved, as we all are, that we've moved on uh, into issues of international espionage. That's fantastic. Rachel Gilmore joins me from Global News. It's great to have you on. Hey, thanks for having me, Greg. I'm sure you've uh, listen. You and I have both written our fair share of headlines for newscasts and uh, and papers and the web and whatnot. I love this one this morning. I got a chuckle. I'm not digging at the Toronto Star. I love that paper. Here's the headline: Chinese state-controlled news outlet claims simultaneous release of the two Michaels and Meng was coincidence. Experts say that's not the case. Experts, everybody says that's not the case, unless you're working for the Chinese government. I had a giggle at that. Yeah, absolutely. Like these two cases have been, or I suppose three cases, have been totally intertwined since the start. Like if you look at the timeline of it, something happened with Meng Wanzhou's case, something happened with the two Michaels. It's been very clear since the start, multiple, well, every <laughs> expert has said it, Canadians see it. These cases are obviously intertwined. Exciting to see also the Michaels must now, quote, strictly abide bail conditions, which should they be violated, would see China resume criminal proceedings. Like, best of luck with that also. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I don't know. I can't speak for them, but uh, I have a feeling if I were in the Michael's shoes, I'd probably just stay far away from China and, uh, and not worry too much about those bail conditions. Well, I wonder your perspective about that and, and the people that you talk to about this. I, I look at this and I think it's worth celebrating. They're back. Um, we don't know the ramifications for them emotionally or mentally. I, I heard uh, Michael Kovrig say with Mercedes Stevenson, like he's just looking forward to seeing like water again and he hasn't seen a tree in three years. So look, we get that, but I, I think we got to get that releasing them makes China actually less trustworthy than more because of, of the, again, it's not a coincidence. These things happen simultaneously. Yeah, I think the really blatant, obvious engagement in hostage diplomacy is a huge concern that Canadians should all be aware of. If you've actually gone on the, you know, the travel advisory website from the government for Canadians traveling to China, it does say, you know, travel with caution because there is arbitrary enforcement of local laws. 
So, you know, it's definitely something that Canadians need to worry about and the government, you know, is is extremely attuned to. Um, And I think that uh, obviously going forward, uh, it's also really damaged the relationship between Canada and China. You know, things just Mm. don't really reset after something like this. It's Rachel Gilmore joining us uh, from Global News. Um, the United States stepping in, and uh, and I th- I'm sure people are wondering, we're, we're pretty deep nine months into Joe Biden's administration post-Donald Trump, and if, if we made the case that Trump wasn't going to do anything, and, and I think a lot of people were relieved that Biden won specifically on this issue, but I'm sure there's some people saying, Rachel, why did, did it take nine months of haggling? I know presidents, prime ministers, everyone dealing with a lot, especially in COVID times, but it, it may have taken longer than we expected here. Yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't obviously, I wish I was <laughs> behind the scenes with all of this, but um, I, I think it, it's, a tip, it's a careful one to navigate because if Canada had just let Meng Wanzhou go, they're rewarding that hostage diplomacy, right? And that mm-hmm. sets a really dangerous precedent for any Canadian in China. Um, with the fact that they waited for the American judicial system to pursue this deal with Meng Wanzhou that then led them to drop the extradition order and gave Canada sort of that green light to be able to legally and within the realm of the rule of law, let her go. Um, that kind of, you know, couched the fact that, you know, we let her go, we got our guys back and and made it clear that we are still going to engage in our judicial processes and won't just immediately give it to hostage diplomacy. So I think it was a really careful dance where you don't want to set a precedent where you agree to, you know, effectively trade people and let China, you know, get leverage over us anytime they grab a Canadian when they're mad at us. I got about a minute left, but I want to ask you about Justin Trudeau. You know, we we come through this federal election coverage. You do your part. I do my part. We're all like, okay, thank goodness that's over. And we think, I wonder if we're we're a little more united and we can put some stuff behind us. Well, here comes the Justin Trudeau, like, damned if he does, damned if he doesn't. There's people, what's he doing getting on a plane to Alberta, hugging people? His sleeves are rolled up. But, Rachel, if he doesn't go, there's there's where's the prime minister? Shouldn't the prime minister meet him? You can't win for losing sometimes with some of your critics. Yeah, I think there's some people who, no matter uh, what Justin Trudeau does, like even if he breathes funny, (laughs) they will criticize him for it. I laughed pretty hard when I saw the criticism of his sleeves being rolled up. (laughs) Maybe it was warm out. (laughs) So, you know, I mean, I think there's very legitimate things you can criticize any prime minister for, but uh, I'd say fashion choices maybe shouldn't necessarily be one of them. I'm not, I don't know how you are with that. I'm not a sleeve roll up guy, but I know my brother in law is. He's a journalist too in, in upstairs state in new york and i'm like every time i see him like i'll come to the house and i'm like what's with this it's a habit for some people i guess right yeah i mean i got pretty long arms so sometimes <laughs> my, knees, my uh, sleeves naturally roll up on their own they kind of look like it anyways <laughs> it's great chatting with you on this we'll uh, we'll talk real soon again yeah take care greg uh check her out rachel gilmore find her uh, on twitter she's on tiktok also something uh, admirable uh for our younger demographic all right in dave bradley's absence fine I'll handle uh, what happened when uh, and lead us through what happened on this date in history, uh, September 27th. Shiva Siddiqui uh, joins us now. Uh, by the way, you and I saw each other on Friday. Do you want to tell Rob or the or the people, our brilliant <laughs> listeners, where we saw each other and what we were doing? We were, we were at a photo shoot. It felt like a fashion show, not a photo it, shoot. You think so? Come on. You were great with your blazer. You look so sharp uh, in your black shirt, your collared shirt. I'm just... Uh, I, 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 I'm so sorry about how long it took me to get ready, too. You were waiting for hours, <laughs> hours for me to hours. get makeup done and uh, just some adjustments. There was some ironing involved. There was some wet steam. 
to get well, some wrinkles out that weren't at the, the, the extensions. The clothes for the wrinkles, not my wrinkles. Just clothes. Rob, he was a diva, complete diva. He was just yelling, screaming at everybody, talking about the lighting. Yeah, a regular, the a regular Elon Musk. How was the catering? <laughs> there was a muffin. There were four Half or five muffins there, and oh. I didn't, I didn't take any. Oh. There was not. I think they I were took good a, enough for him. I took a plastic bottle of water, and usually I only drink the, uh, as you know, Rob, I only drink the spicy water, right? The spring. You had to bring Perrier today because your machine's it. broken, right? That's right. I bought it in Sudbury. They actually have uh, Perrier up in Sudbury. It doesn't, you know, it sounds like an oxymoron. Um, let's go with uh, what happened when. By the way, I see the on the holidays and observances, and Sheba as a uh, parent, and me as a parent too, I think this lands differently for parents. Today is National Chocolate Milk Day. What's our, how are we feeling about chocolate milk in, oh, in households? That is a staple. Come on, that is a childhood staple. Every child needs to have chocolate milk in their household. But when I was a kid, the, we, my mom never wanted to buy the actual chocolate milk from the grocery store. She'd buy the regular milk. We'd get like the quick powder of it. Right. But now I'll, I just buy it so they can just figure it out. They don't have to take 10 scoops of the powder into their glass and they can just pour it out. It's much easier. But don't you think? Yeah, it is. But then didn't kids start like snorting the quick powder? Like it became like a bit of a... <laughs> Did they? A bit of a street drug, I think, was the no Nestle way. Quick. <laughs> or the syrup, the Hershey's syrup. I'm sure I'd find my youngest... Like if I bought the syrup, I'd walk into the kitchen, I'm sure, and find him like shotgunning it into his mouth. And I can't have <laughs> yeah. that. Oh, I did that as well. The strawberry syrup. I don't like strawberry, but that was good. I think it's a it's a, a circle of life thing because um, chocolate milk is utilized a fair bit at my father-in-law's long-term care home. Like, it's very sad that he's there, but uh, the, the residents go nuts for the chocolate milk. So I think I think there's about a 50-year span in the middle of your life where it's kind of like, you're like, it's a kid's drink, but then you come back around to it in your 70s and 80s, and you're like, Full wow, circle. it was tasty. It was delicious. It was delicious. Let's get to uh, let's get to more of uh, what happened when on this date, and uh, we start with this in uh, 1908. The world's first Ford Model T leaves the manufacturing plant again. Dave Bradley's not even here. He's the car guy. I'm not. <laughs> but have you guys ever been in Rob? Let's start with you. A really, really old car, either as a driver or a passenger. I think I was in a really old Mini once, a Mini Cooper. Oh, that's yeah. nice. Yeah. Yeah. In, in Italy. Yeah. Sheba? Oh, wow. That's yeah. big time. Yeah, he's yeah, big time just with two things. He, he went to Italy. Took, a, took it to another level there. Uh, yeah. I don't think I have. No, not a really old. I love admiring them. I think they're works of art, but I don't think I've ever sat inside one. They go past me, and most of the guys have like a, like a hat on, and they have white hair that's long, <laughs> bad down to their shoulders. So you're assuming that they're like some kind of royalty or, or dad left them a lot of money or something. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And they always have long white hair. You're right. Yeah. It's always long white hair. And and the person in the passenger seat, you're like, is that your your third wife or your daughter? Because I need an explanation <laughs> on it. It's one or the other. Ouch. It's true. <laughs> it's not, uh, in 1988, let's step up to this clip. Uh, yeah, this is the bad news. We did the, we did the soul race last week with Ben Johnson. But on this day, this happened. The urine sample of Ben Johnson, Canada. Athletics. 100 meter collected on Saturday 24 September 1988 was found to contain the metabolites of a banned substance namely stanozolol yeah it's an anabolic steroid I agree with that uh, uh, French lady and it's uh, the fact that she mispronounced that meant me we kept mispronouncing it for decades after as well <laughs> Sheba do you have a where were you moment you're younger than me by a pinch no, well, uh, considerably. Um, do you remember this happening? In I your do existence? remember it. I think I was at school. I think I was in elementary school. I maybe I don't know, grade 
grade four, or grade five, but I do remember it. And it was so, it was, I was so disappointed. Yeah. It was, it was heartbreaking. Did you think at first you're like, oh, Ben, or were you like, oh, this must be, well, this is way before we engaged in real time conspiracy theories. Like, <laughs> did Carl Lewis sneak into his room and put something into, you know, his fluid? Did something like, we were, we were trying to find ways to acquit Ben Johnson, Rob, in Is the court of public yeah. opinion. I mean, I didn't even, I was, I'm only a year older than Sheba. I was also in elementary school going, what's the big deal? Well, but, And not knowing what drugs were anyway. No. So just like, okay, yes. whatever. Um, on this date, eight years later, speaking of body, bodily fluids, Roberto Alomar spits in the face of umpire John Hirschbeck. Oh. Everybody remembers this moment. Yes. I actually don't. I don't remember this. Oh. <laughs> well, he came I'll back and, you, and it was in Toronto. Rios, like pushing a kid yes. into the street. But it was in Toronto, Sheba, and he came back playing as a member of the Baltimore Orioles. So people didn't like him already because he wasn't a Blue Jay anymore. But then this happened, and I remember this, and I have a Robbie Alomar story. Let's I do had it. A huge crush on him when I was just a teenager. <laughs> huge crush. I thought he was just the hottest thing when they won. I, oh, I just loved him, and I went to a wedding in Toronto. And I grew up in Ottawa. I came down to go to a wedding, and. I guess the wedding party, one of the cousins, she brought him as her date to the wedding. And that's wow. it. We didn't care about the bride and the groom. We just stared at him all night long. That's one thing, right? If you're the if you're the bride and the groom, you're kind of getting big-timed, right? A little, if you invite somebody oh. really famous like that to your wedding. Berto Alomar's in the room, absolutely. Like, I, if, if Steve Eiserman had, had been invited to my wedding and come, I would have loved that as the groom, but I would have been like, why is everybody... <laughs> Nobody. I'm speaking. I'm speaking. I'm like Kamala Harris. I'm like everybody. I'm speaking. <laughs> Pay attention to me. This is my speech. I wrote it, and everybody's just like fawning over Steve Eiserman. Steve Eiserman. Yeah. Or if I invited like Brandon Flowers from the Killers, I'm like that's the guy I want at my wedding. Like I wanted my first dance with him. Wow. Greg, who? <sighs> I'm revealing a lot. We're all revealing a lot. That's what uh, we're meant to do. Thanks again for listening to the Toronto Today podcast. We're back with live shows all week, obviously, but tomorrow on Tuesday. 5.30 A to 9 A on uh, Toronto Today. Great to have you with us for this uh, digital experience. Please feel free to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts or keep checking us out at 640toronto.com.